Hey, so good to see everybody. It's your first time. I'm Tyler. I'm the pastor here. We are starting a new series today, One City at a Time. One City at a Time. Everybody say, One City at a Time. It's out of the book of Ephesians. Now, uh, we're actually going to start in Acts 19 today because that's actually where Paul's uh, missionary trip started. He was there for three years. Acts 19, there's no other chapter in the Bible that has affected the way that I pray for our church and the way I dream for the church. Acts 19 is this amazing uh, ministry that Paul has where he goes to this huge city, 200,000 plus people, and he basically comes to a place where uh, they are worshiping a bunch of other gods. The Temple of Artemis is a big deal there. and they transform the whole city. They turn it upside down. All of Eastern Minor hears about Jesus. 230 plus towns and villages um, hear the gospel and are transformed because Ephesus was transformed. So one city at a time and 200 plus cities followed. It's an amazing uh, thing to study. And so we're going to go in today and we're going to learn from Acts 19 of how Paul planted his church. Paul, uh, now don't worry, I think we got some pretty good pastors here. But... But, but, but Paul, he wasn't exegeting scripture, he was writing scripture, okay? That's a whole different ballgame. Uh, God called him and anointed him for such a time. And before we go into the message, I just wanna read you some fun facts about Ephesians. It's, it's fun uh, for me at least, maybe not for you, but we'll see. Uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians was written be- uh, between 54 and 57 AD. Uh, the journey of Ephesians basically, in Acts 19, Paul comes on the scene. He's there for two years, it says in Acts 19, but then Acts 20, Paul says three years. The author Luke says two in Acts 19, Paul says three in Acts 20. Let's land in about two and a half years. It probably was in between, so Paul was like, it's more like three years, Luke. And Luke's like, yeah, it's more like two years, but whatever, okay? So it's two to three years, his longest time ever in a city where he was pastoring a church. Second thing is, if I could actually sum up the book of Ephesians with five words, here are the five words that theologians basically associate Ephesians with. The gospel, message, identity, community, power, and mission. So we're going to talk about that a lot this, uh, um, this series. Another thing uh, about uh, Ephesians is pound for pound, page for page, this is the most complete epistle, it's a fancy word for letter of the church, about why the church exists. I think a lot of us can come to church and say, here's what I like about church, but what an amazing idea to actually look at the word of God and say, God, what is your purpose for the church? What is your mission for the church? Why does it exist? And uh, Ephesians gives us an amazing overview in the six chapters of really why the church is alive and well and what it's supposed to be doing for the world and what it's supposed to be doing to glorify the name of Jesus. So pound for pound, page for page. Come on, you should have a crush on the book of Ephesians. I do. Okay, anyways, um, hands down, it's the clearest book on why the church exists out of all the epistles. Uh, Number one, uh, another fun fact about the book of Ephesians, uh, it has riches five times, grace 14 times, in Christ 15 times, God wants you to know your identities in him, glory eight times, and filled up in fullness six times. He wants to communicate to the church that we are, in, uh, we are heirs to an inheritance, that we're supposed to live lives that are overflowing, that we are rich in Christ, that when we're rich in Christ, brings glory to him, that when we have our identity in Jesus, there's this thing that happens that we walk in grace, that we, we can't do in our own strength. Grace is what saves us and sustains us. It is this powerful thing. So we're gonna learn that through the book of Ephesians. Another thing we see in the book of Ephesians is it's the most practical insight on discipleship than any other epistle on how to disciple. It has, it has topics such as this, how Christian marriage function. Talks about uh, how you should parent. Talks about how you should communicate with each other. Talks about how to reconcile differences. It's a very practical book. It tells us how to change habits that are hard to change. Talks about spiritual warfare. The book of Ephesians talks about uh, your conscience. Talks about work. It talks about family. 
what it means to be in community. It talks about sexuality. It talks about singleness. Come on, it talks about how you deal with racism in your culture. This book of Ephesians is so full, and we're going to try to actually unpack it in four weeks because I'm doing Acts 19 today. Um, so we'll probably do this again, the book of Ephesians. But what we want to do in this series is really not read the book as an academic book and share all the... Well, actually, um, the, the, um, the context of the scripture in the Greek, uh, as, as much fun as that is, and I enjoy it, uh, the book of Ephesians was not written for us to just have a bunch of knowledge. It was written to us to change the world. Our mission as a church is to change the world one person at a time. Paul's writing to this church a few years later after he's seen them change a city of 200,000 plus to change a whole region. And he's on a mission to change the world. So he's writing from prison to them. Here's what you're supposed to be doing now. And so he gives them these instructions. It's an amazing thing. So let's talk about Ephesus real quick. So I, I, I love reading the word, and it's good to know a little bit of context because I think sometimes we read the word and we're like, okay, I get it, yeah, do this, do this. But it's, it's fascinating to find out what's happening at that time and really what they overcame and what they're going against. So I want to give you some facts about Ephesus at this time. So um, Ephesus uh, was the Roman capital. It was one of the Roman capitals. It was a leading city in the Roman Empire. It had a harbor road and a, uh, it had a harbor and a road. So basically it was the eastern gate to all the cities of Asia. It was modern day, basically, San Francisco, New York, or L.A. Like, if you're going to go to other towns, you're going to go through Ephesus. And so Ephesus, 200,000 plus, I mean, this is an amazing thing. Uh, Paul goes straight for the, the jugular here. Now, we live in the Bay Area, so we could actually relate with this. Our county has a million people. The Bay Area has 10 million people. And so if you're going to come to America, one of the places that you would come through is you would come through San Francisco. Another thing about Ephesus, they had a temple, the Temple of Artemis. Go ahead and throw the picture up real quick. This is an idea of what it would look like. It's now just ruins, but here's what the picture looked like. Okay, It's one of the seven wonders of the world. This was in Ephesus. So we in San Francisco, we have the Golden Gate Bridge. People come to see the Golden Gate Bridge. People come to Ephesus to see this. And not only was this something that people come see and worship, but actually it was also a bank. Such, such a great bank that Caesar would actually keep his own money there because he thought he'd be blessed by the Temple of Artemis. And so this is an amazing thing that Ephesus had, and this is also what Paul's dealing with. Every city that Paul would go to, it had different types of bondage, different types of lies that it would sell to people, live this way, and you'll have joy, happiness, and peace. But the problem is, is that the Temple of Artemis was not giving joy, happiness, and peace. It was giving bondage to people. When I lived in L.A., the thing that was sold was fame. So people would come to L.A. to find fame. And as they were in L.A., they would give anything and everything to fame. And at the end of their run, you could see they were broken because they found out that fame was not for everybody, that fame was not going to satisfy their soul, and they would leave sometimes destroyed and upset and given up on life. I moved to the Bay Area, and I meet people, and most of the reason why people move to the Bay Area is one reason. Startup companies, money. There's a lot of money. It's the most affluent area in all of the U.S. So the different bondage that would come from, the, uh, from our area would be people coming here with the dreams of getting rich, thinking that money will solve all their problems. So Paul was going to come into our area. I think he would be very similar to Ephesus because Ephesus was the rich city. Let's look at another uh, thing real quick. Geographically, Ephesus was the gateway to Asia. Uh, this moment in history shows Ephesus is completely changed by the gospel message. 230 plus cities and villages are impacted by what happened in Ephesus. One city at a time. Oh my goodness, it's actually real. What? Uh, so here's the title of my message. The title of my message is Paul Plants a Church with a Mission. Title my message today for the one city at a time. It's in Acts 19. I'm going to pray and we'll dive in. Does that sound good? Lord, thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. Oh, may we live uh, with a mission. May we live with the vision that you've given us as a church, Lord. That we're not coming to just 
uh, sit in a, a chair and then leave, but we are called to be a movement. We're not supposed to come to church. We're supposed to be the church. So, Lord, as we learn from Acts 19 today and we see you move throughout a city, may we see something powerful happen uh, in our city, in our region. May the East Bay region uh, be the one that changes first and then changes the rest of the cities around us. May history look back at, at this time and say something happened in the East Bay region and city after city, town after town, state after state was changed forever because the gospel message was preached and the gospel message was lived out by the church. Lord, we need you. May my words fall to the floor and may your words soar. Oh, we love you. We love you. And everybody said? Amen. All righty, let's do this. Imagine with me real quick. Imagine the church being like the church of Ephesus. But before we do that, let's use an illustration. Imagine a babysitter business, okay? You're a parent. I'm not a parent yet, but imagine hiring a babysitter, and you hire them to watch your two kids. So you're like, hey, we're going to go on a date tonight. We're going to go to dinner. We're going to go see a movie. Watch my kiddos. So you come home, and the babysitter's nowhere to be found, and your kids are playing tag in the backyard by themselves. Would you be upset as a parent? Can we agree with this? Yes? You would be livid. You'd be hot, okay? Um, you'd be like, da -da -da. hi, uh, quick question. Uh, where is you? Okay. Uh, and then the babies are like, oh, I'm so sorry. I got a call from my friends to go see a movie. Uh, your kids are fine. I locked them in the gate in the backyard. You're welcome. You know? uh, and you can just mail me my money. Thank you. Click. You'd be like, I'm never hiring that babysitter again. Can we, can we agree with that? Yes? Now imagine a bus company. Imagine BART or just a bus company trying to get somewhere. And you're at the bus station. And you're standing there waiting to get picked up by a bus. One hour goes by, two hours goes by, three hours goes by. Eventually a whole day goes by. Would you ever want to go back to that bus stop or work with that bus station? We wouldn't. We're all on the same page here, yes? Imagine firefighters on a fire truck and a house is on fire. You were cooking and something caught a blaze and you see the fire truck. You're like, okay, thank goodness. Firemen in a fire truck. My house is burning down. And they just wave at you and go on their way to the movies. Would, would that upset you? Yes? Fire, a fireman would just be a title to you because you're like, what, what doesn't mean anything to be a fireman these days? Houses on fire, they just drive right by. Why would I call, the, why would I call 911? They don't even come anymore. When, when something happens, they just wave at me on their way by. It's just a title. It doesn't mean anything. It's just fireman. Firewoman. Sorry about that. <laughs> you better say firewoman or else I'm out of here. Um, fire lady. Uh, can you imagine a bank? You take your life savings, everything that you worked hard for, you give it to the bank, and you give it to them, and you think they're going to keep it safe, and you walk in one day, and the bankers are sitting there talking, and other people are walking into the vault and taking all of your valuables. Would you put your money in that bank ever again? No. Well, let's get to the point, Tyler. <laughs> I could do this all day. Imagine a baseball player. I'm just kidding. Uh, imagine a teacher. Uh, imagine a limo driver. <laughs> Wrap it up. Okay, so anyways... Now imagine this. People are saying to me all the time, oh my gosh, the church is dying. Why is the church dying in America? Why don't people want to go to church? I'll tell you why they don't want to go to church. Because they see Christians as just a title. People's lives are breaking and they're dying on the sideline and Christians just wave by, hope you can take care of it yourself. I don't have time to help anybody else because I'm just trying to get mine. And so a community looks at Christians and say, man, I, I know this Jesus would stop and he would spend time with the Samaritan woman. He would give his life away. But everybody I see in my community is they go to church and they're just trying to get their life comfortable and better. They go to church to get a promotion. They don't care about me. Christian is just a title to me. I've never seen it in action. Imagine somebody who's saying, man, I want Jesus. 
Oh, I want Jesus. If somebody would just tell me about Jesus, but hours goes by and they know that there's somebody in their workplace or there's somebody in the community that says they're a Christian, but they never stopped and talked to them about Jesus. You'd probably give up then. Imagine the thing that the Lord gave to the church. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. Then take care of the most valuable thing to me. Take care of my sheep. And so the Lord looks at the church and says, man, is the church taking care of my sheep or are they just going to church on Sunday? What we're going to see in Acts 19 is not a church that just went to church on Sunday, but they were the church. Paul comes in, he builds a team of sold-out Christians, and they basically just disrupt the region. Because when the gospel is preached, when your private faith goes public, it will turn a city and a region upside down. When you take the love of God and you bring it into a hateful world, it will turn a hateful world upside down. When you take the selfless acts of Jesus and you bring it into a selfish world, it will turn a selfish world upside down. That's my prayer is as we go through this series that you would see the church operating at its highest level and we would dream as a church saying that could be mission church today. That we could be that church that would say I'm sold out for the kingdom. My life, the most important thing to me is seeing God's kingdom come, his will be done. That people would know that Jesus died on a cross, that he died for them, that their sins are paid for, that there is hope for their future, that they are blameless, that they are a saint and not a sinner. That's what I, I pray for our church. Does that sound good? Okay, let's read some Bible. Turn your Bibles to Acts 19. Here we go. Here we go. First thing, we're just going to go through Acts 19. We're going to go through it a bit by bit, brick by brick, part by part. Um, I'm actually going to read th- from the Bible. I'm going to try something different today. Uh, maybe it's more anointed if I read from the Bible instead of from my computer, but we'll see. Or maybe it's harder and I'll never do it again. Um, <laughs> Acts 19, 1 through 7 is what we're going to do. So Paul, imagine Paul coming to Walnut Creek, East Bay, and just saying, I'm going to plant church. What would he do first? So he goes to Ephesus. What does he do first? This is what he would do first. This is what we would do first. This is what we did. Here we go. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Then he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, "Uh, into what were you baptized then? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid their hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesying. They were about 12 men in all. Stop. Paul comes on the scene. First thing he does is he builds a team. Builds a team. Now, where do you go to build a team? He went to the hungry ones. One of the first things you have to understand, I want you to catch this real quick, is Paul did not just go anywhere He actually went to people that were seeking and hungry. These were ignorant disciples. They didn't even know about the baptism of being yes to Jesus. They were still hearing the thing of John because they didn't know the word of God. They were intrigued. It would be like somebody in our culture that goes, I've heard of Jesus. Is Jesus the guy I've seen on South Park? Is he the guy I saw on somebody's t-shirt? I've heard of it. I'm curious about this Jesus, but I don't know about this Jesus. But man, I'd love somebody to talk to me about this Jesus. And so the first thing Paul does is he goes to the hungry people that want the gospel and that want to build the church. Tyler, is this... What I'm called to do, yes. I believe one of the first things that you need to understand if you want to build the church and be the church is that you have to open your eyes to see who are the spiritual hungry. And it's not that hard. I don't think it's that hard. Let me, do, let me, let me share an illustration with you. Here's what I mean by that. If I won tickets to the World Series right now, like literally I had a game to, uh, right behind the home plate or right behind the, uh, the team, 
If I won tickets to the World Series, I would call my buddy Mitch. Where's, my, where's Coach Mitch at? Right here. Mitch. I would call him Mitch. Mitch loves the Dodgers, okay? Don't you boo him now. We're in church, okay? But he loves the Dodgers, okay? Uh, my wife's from L.A., so it's cool. Uh, but he loves the Dodgers. So I would think right away, you know who loves the Dodgers? Mitch. I'm going to get him the tickets. Boom. Because I know Mitch, and I know that he loves the Dodgers. This is very simple. It flows through relationship. Let me, let me share another one with you. <laughs> that one's funny. If I won a $10,000 gift card to Gucci or Saint Laurent, okay, I would have no idea what to buy there. Do I buy the things with all the sparklies? No, I would go like this. Yo, Caleb, it's me, Tyler. You know, my boy Caleb, you know what I'm saying? And I say, Caleb, I know you're hungry for some Gucci and some Saint Laurent gift cards. And Caleb like, no, 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 no. He'd show up the next week just Gucci'd out. He'd be like, how did you know? Because I know you like that stuff, man. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sweating. I, I, I asked Caleb's permission. His boss asked him if he could do it. Of course, he didn't say yes to his boss. Sure, boss. Anyways, I remember coming out. This is just even last night. I come out of the, I come out of the bedroom. Uh, I, I got done studying, and I'm watching the Huskies play Cal Bears, and and I grew up a Husky fan, and not right now. Um, I'm a little wounded right now, but go Bears, okay? Um, so I grew up a Husky fan as a kid. I used to visit um, uh, the Huskies when I was a kid. They signed my hat, signed my football. So I still just have this love for UW football. And so I watch, and they lose 12-10. I'm devastated. And when I get sad, I <laughs> glory. Um, I, I, I got a process. So I walk out, and Rachel's uh, cooking dinner, and I was like, oh, terrible loss by the Huskies. Uh, they were uh, um, up 7-6, and they subbed this quarterback in, and he threw a pick six, and, and now they lost 12-10. Um, you know, to 10. It was a weird loss. And, and the Rachel's cooking, and this is literally Rachel I'm talking to her. Oh, that's great. Okay. Not like one like turn. I, I, I don't even know if she knew what I was saying, okay? But I just, I knew I was talking to a wall at this moment, but it didn't matter. I needed to talk to somebody, Okay. And so at the very end, I just finished talking. I was like, and that's how the Huskies saved the world. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Iron Man's real. Yeah, of course, you know. But if I came to Rachel and I said, babe, and she's cooking, I go, hey, I want to go to Europe in the next six months. Let's plan the trip. She would literally like, just drop everything. Yes, talk to me. Europe, I'm in. Because again, my wife's dream is for us to go to Europe. It is, and we're going to go to Europe. I, I told her actually a couple weeks ago that we're going to start saving for it, and we're going to make it happen, and you know what she did? She started crying, and I was like, I'm a terrible husband. <laughs> I didn't know it meant, meant this much to you. She was like, we're going to go to Europe together. I was like, oh my goodness, we could have done this last year. I didn't know. <laughs> so, anyways, anyways, let's keep going. I had one more illustration, but I feel like I'm illustration city right now, but who cares? Let's do another one. If I had a $20,000 gift card for a wedding, I would go to Casey and Justin because they're about to get married. Come on now. Yeah. Where are they? Where's Casey and Justin? Where's Casey and Justin? They're not even in service. Never mind. Um, I want you to catch this real quick. Paul comes on the scene and he's looking for people who want Jesus and he finds these people they don't know about Jesus, but he knows, man, they're, they're, they're seeking. And one of the first things that we have to do, and this is, this, is, this is the mandate on the church. This is the mandate on you, it's on me. 
is that when we are living our life, it's to keep our eyes open saying, God, who am I supposed to share the truth of the gospel with? Some of them may have an idea about Jesus. They may have an idea about the gospel. But when they're actually kind of seeking, I mean, I come in and say, man, here's what it really means to live for Jesus. And the, the message almost sounds too good to be true. But yes, he died for you. He paid for all your sins. And now he wants you to live for him. He is going to become the authority in your life. And he's going to love you like nobody's ever loved you. He's going to restore you like nothing's ever been restoring you. That's what's for your life. Come check out church with me. Let's go change the world. What happens is, is we look at everything else and connect with everything else to people. Sports fans, we connect to sports fans. Find out somebody likes sports, and we'll go to a sporting event with them. We find out somebody likes to do this and likes to do that. And the one thing why we're on this planet is to build his kingdom and see his kingdom come as will be done. May we build the church. May we build a team. Does it sound good? Let's go on to the next point. The church is into making disciples. Uh, let's look what Paul does next. Acts 19, 8 through uh, 10. Here we go. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years. Everybody say two years. This is no flash in the pan. I'm here for the rest of my life. Unless the Lord lights a bush on fire and says, I'm not supposed to be here, I'm not leaving. I know this is the long play. I know it's going to take years. People are going to come in messy. People are going to come in with their own ideology. People are going to come in with wounds. They're going to come in angry. They're going to come in kind of cautious of people. And it may take two years for them to understand how much we love them and how much Jesus loves them. goes on to say, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia, all the residents, you got to understand this, everybody in Eastern Asia, from this, this town, from Ephesus, everybody in the East Bay heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Everybody in the East Bay, Republicans, Democrats, rich, poor, angry, not angry, selfish, not selfish, didn't matter. They all heard the word of the Lord. And my prayer today is that you would understand that your vision for your life, the Great Commission, why was Paul so fixated about making disciples? Paul, you get there. Why is this something so important to you? Let's look at the scripture real quick. Matthew 28, 19, 20. This is the mission that he gives to his people, and he gives it to us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You ever find it interesting that Paul was in a city for three years? Three years. And God used him and people to change a whole region of 200,000 people and then all of Eastern Asia Minor. But then other people that are Christians can live in a city for 40 years and not even see their neighborhood transformed. They can live in a city for 40 years and not even see five people get discipled. The reason why is they have lost the vision and the mission of their life. It is the long play. Imagine if you discipled one person a year for the next 20 years. That'd be 20 more people that you discipled, and maybe one of those people that you discipled, or maybe all 20, they became so on fire for Jesus, they just started discipling people. And this is where the one person at a time comes from. Jesus did it, so we do it this way. This is where one city at a time comes from. Imagine one city saying this is what's going to happen, and then it impacts the city and city. Bondage is broken. Freedom reigns. Love reigns, and hate loses. The only way this happens is when people say, I am going to own the responsibility of discipling somebody else. And I think one of the problems in the church today is everybody still wants to be discipled when they're supposed to be discipling. How many years do you have to come to church till you actually grab somebody else and say, I'm going to invest my life in you now? I'm going to be the one who shoots texts of encouragement. I'm going to be the one that people go, man, I want to call that person to see how they're doing. 
This has to become the church. The reason why the church is dying is I believe the church is only as strong as its disciples. It's not as strong as its services. You have a good service, whatever. You're not going to change a region by a service. You might get a lot of people in a room, but that's not going to change a region. I don't want to just have a lot of people in a room. I want a city to feel the disciples of Jesus loving and serving and giving their life away. So let's do another illustration. Proverbs 29, 18. It says this, where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no prophetic vision, the Bible is your prophetic vision for your life, where you don't have the biblical vision for your life, guess what happens? The people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Uh, another version would say, uh, without vision my people perish. Not a bad translation, but this is word for word, uh, the best way we can translate the Hebrew to uh, English, Greek to English. And what this is saying, check this out, with, when there is no prophetic vision, when you don't have the vision of God in your life, there's no restraint. Picture what restraint looks like real quick. Imagine riding in a car, and God is taking you to your destination. The Bible says very simply that you may have peace in this world, a.k.a. peace is possible, but you will have trouble, a.k.a. there will be bumps along the way. If you lived a number of years, you will have trouble, but peace is possible. Some people say, well, I said yes, but why don't I feel peace? It's possible, but if you're not living with Jesus and you're not in a relation with Jesus, you're not going to have peace. You just don't say yes, Jesus, and have peace. Peace is possible now, but you will have trouble. So imagine you have your vision. You go, okay, this is what my life is supposed to be. This is where my promises is. This is where everything is supposed to be in my life. And as you're driving down the road of life, you hit this big bump. The big bump could be even a promotion. The big bump could be finances. The big bump could be a wound. The big bump could be a hobby. It could be any kind of bump, and it bumps you out of your seat, and you exit the freeway, and you start living a different life. But what the Bible says, the vision of your life, and this is what Paul did, because Paul, he, he, what, what happened in this verse? He started preaching the gospel. People were like, not true. Get out of here. We don't believe you. You suck, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, whatever. Thank you. That's not my, that, my vision for my life is not to argue with people that don't agree with me. My vision is to proclaim the gospel and let the Lord do the rest. And so that bump does not deter him. He says, come on, disciples. Let's go, let's go disciple for the next two years and let's go change a whole region. Haters going to hate. We're going to love. And so what happens is, is when you have vision and you hit a bump like a promotion, hey, I got a promotion, but still the vision and the mission of my life is to disciple and to be a disciple. Oh my gosh, I got wounded at the church. No, the vision and the mission of my life is going to keep me seatbelted in. I'm going to live my promise out. I'm going to disciple, and I'm built to be a disciple. Oh, I love this hobby. I love doing this with my friends. It's so fun to me. Great. Enjoy it. But the mission of your life is to be a disciple and to be, uh, and to be discipled. The vision of your life from Jesus, if you live it out, watch what Jesus does in your life and in your neighborhood and in your family. Own the responsibility of a disciple. Don't be a fireman that just has a title. Don't be just a Christian that has a title. Actually, be a Christian that lives out the mission of Jesus. Yes? Oh, I'm preaching today. Let's keep going. Here we go. The church is operating in power, and hell shows its hand. Let's check this out. And hell shows its hand. Acts 19, 11 through 17. Here we go. So the next part, the church starts operating in power. Do you know that we are not going to win this city by our charisma? We're not going to win this city by a good idea. It is the power of God. It is the breath of God. It is the ruah, like Tom talked about last, or pneuma in the, uh, in the Greek. It is the Holy Spirit that empowers the church, a spirit-filled life, love, peace, patience, all of the above, okay? So here's what happens. And it's interesting, this, is, this miracle only happens in Ephesus. It doesn't happen again like this. And that's what's fascinating. I think every city needs a different type of miracle. I think every city needs a different touch of heaven. The same, same heaven, but just a different thing for that city because each principality has a different attack to an extent. 
So here's what happens. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched the skin were, um, were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the um, intimate Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of Jewish high priests named Sceva were doing this. Basically, some people are like, I like this Christian thing, but I don't want it to be a Christian. I just want the power of Christianity. A.K.A. I want the blessing of Jesus, but I don't want to live for Jesus. I want to look cool like Jesus, but I actually don't want to be obedient like Jesus. I just want to be the person that does all the cool things. Uh, and so I'm going to have, I want to do the power. I want to control the darkness, basically. So here's what happens. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit leaped on, then mastered all, of them overpowered them so that they fled out the house naked and wounded. Haven't been in a lot of fights, but you leave uh, naked and wounded, you probably lost that fight, okay? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Just, just, I'm just saying. Uh, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. The fear, of, uh, fear um, fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Stop. Let me catch this real quick. I think you have to make a decision that you have to either decide that there are principalities, like the Bible says in Ephesians 6, we'll talk about it, that you're not fighting against me. I'm not fighting against you. You're not fighting against a Republican. You're not fighting against a Democrat. You're not fighting against an ideology. You're not fighting against this. You're fighting against darkness. You're fighting against hell. And right here in this moment is hell shows its hand. Darkness shows its hand. Hell wants to maim you, and heaven wants to make you. Hell wants to mark your life as a mistake. But just because you make a mistake doesn't mean you're a mistake. Just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to uncover you. He wants to take everything off of you and make you be exposed to this world. But what Jesus wants to do is he wants to cover you, give you a new robe, wider than snow, and say, failure does not mark my kids. My grace and mercy and my provision marks my kids. And so hell shows its hands, and you have to decide, are you going to hate hell the way that Paul hated hell? Are you going to hate hell the way Jesus hated hell? You don't want to associate with it. You don't want to dip your toe in it, because all it wants to do is mess you up. I get questions all the time when I was a youth pastor. How far is too far? What can I do? It's the worst question I've ever heard. So how much darkness can you have in your life? How much can you live for yourself, and how much can you live for the enemy? How, how, how selfish can you be and still be blessed? The question you ask yourself is, man, how do I give my life completely to Jesus? How do I make sure that at the end of my days, you know what keeps me up at night? The thing that really gets me fired up, doesn't, I, I don't lose sleep over it, but the thing that fires me up, at the end of my days, I want to look back and say, God, you got everything out of me that you're supposed to. That this, this, this son of yours, you deposited talents in him, and he didn't give them to the world, and he didn't give them to darkness, he just gave them right back to you, and you multiplied them. He gave them right back to you, and you multiplied them. And his joy was good, and his joy got better, and his joy became overflowing, and his joy almost got obnoxious where people were like, that guy is way too joyful. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then Acts 19, 18 through 20, heaven shows their hand. It's an amazing moment. I want you to see this real quick. Every city that the gospel is preached, bondage was broken. The gospel message at this moment, it starts to disrupt the city. I'm going to read uh, my two points just because we're, we're getting tight on time and I want to finish my message. But the two points I'm going to read together real quick is people found freedom in the church, and the next one, the church was impacting culture with the gospel message. 
the culture was being impacted. Not just Sunday, but the whole culture was being turned upside down. So let's read. It's going to be a decent amount of scripture, so buckle, buckle up. Here we go. Many of those who were believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Stop. So this is an amazing moment. People who struggled with witchcraft, bondage, they started saying, you know what? This is not going to be my life. I'm going to come burn my books in front of everybody. I'm going to come say, this is what I struggled with, but no longer. This doesn't define my life. I'm going to act. I have freedom uh, from this. Now I'm going to declare the freedom in front of everybody. It's an amazing moment. I want, I want you to catch real quick that uh, I believe the church needs to become something like this again, where people actually know your struggle. Well, people actually know what you have overcame. You, have, you should share that with people. That's what happened in this church. But the church now today is like, okay, don't share it because if anybody knows I got junk, if anybody knows I got anything, then I'm, then I'm done. What a terrible church. What a terrible church if people come and think that they can't have struggles. They can't come have failures. We're done if that's what the church is. There's this man who came to a ministry. It was called Love in Action. And basically, it was a ministry that was geared towards people who struggled with pornography, struggled with lust and being sex addicts. So he comes, and it's his first time, and they say, would you like to share? And he goes, okay, I'll share. And he's got a bunch of people there, and he goes, hi, my name is blank blank. And he goes, this last week, I, I, thought, I, was, I, I thought I could do it on my own, but I, I can. And it's a Christian ministry where he's at, and he goes, he goes so, so I was driving down the road, and I saw a strip club, and I pulled in, and I wanted to go in. And as he's saying this, people raise their hand. And he's like, I... I just started my story. Don't ask questions. You want to know the name of the strip club? What's going on? This is weird. Put your hand down, man. So he goes on to the story. He goes, and I'm thinking, I don't want to be a person who struggles with lust. I don't want to be that person who struggles with lust. And hands go up again. And they're like, like put your hand. This is a weird group of people. Goes in. So eventually he goes, I, I was weak. And I went in the strip club. I was there all night. And hands went up again. He's like, what is going on with all these people raising their hands? I don't want to answer questions. I'm being vulnerable right now. He goes on to share the story, he said, and then at the very end of the night, I get in my car, and I put my head down, and I say, God's done with me. Oh, I felt like God was done with me, that he would never forgive me, that he would never use me again because of what I did. And he sees everybody's hands go up again. He's like, what is going on? He looks at the guy, he goes, why are they keep on raising their hands? What, what, they want me to answer the question? And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. What happens here is, if anybody's ever struggled with what you struggle with, they raise their hands and say, me too. I've been there. And what, what was so powerful about that moment is, I believe the church, we need more hand-raising and less finger-pointing. That we need to become a church that somebody says, I struggle with this. Yeah, give me a clap for that. Come on. People will never overcome the things of the enemy if they never see anybody else overcome it. I, it's, it's a simple principle. It's, it's throughout the Bible. The world has hijacked it. They use it for every fitness testimony on the planet. Somebody's like, look what I did in three months. Woo! And somebody's like, well, if you could do that, I remember how messed up you was. You love donuts. I'm in. You know what I'm saying? If you could lose the weight, I know I could lose the weight. And they're like, hook me up. Because they see that that person overcame their struggle with food, so they can overcome their struggle with food. But if nobody knows the testimony of what Jesus is doing in your life and what he has done in your life, nobody will say, maybe God could do that with me too. We've got to become a church that says, look what heaven did in my life. I was broken, but now I'm restored. I was addicted to sex and no longer am I. St. Augustine or St. Augustine, whichever way you want to say it, all good. He's one of the early church fathers. He's one of the greatest gifts to the church when you look at what he accomplished and what he's given to us. He was a sex addict. And he went and spoke. And at the very end of his message, one of the girls that he used to, I don't know how to say it, get busy with. Is that allowed to say at the church? I don't know what to say. Uh, he used to hang out with, okay? Um, sex addict, whatever. We're at church, relax. Um, 
she comes up and she goes, Augustine, it's me. And he looks at her and goes, I know, but it's not me anymore. Jesus changed my life. And that's what we need. We need people to know that the gospel is so powerful that it will take sex addicts and make them saints. That it will take sinners and make them saints. It will take atheists. If you, if you hate the gospel and you're mad at Jesus, I'm always like, oh, you're about to get saved? And you're going to become an apostle. <laughs> I've seen this happen <laughs> too many times. Too many times. The angry ones become the greatest ones. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Stupid Christianity. I love Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Come on. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Okay. Here we go. All right. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish. Sorry. And then I'm just going to paraphrase this real quick because I want you to catch this. In. And go, go home and read Acts 19, all of it. This week, read Ephesians 1 through 6. Read all of it. Acts 19.23 says, About that time there arose a little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who had made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business uh, to the craftsmen. So stop, I'm just going to unpack this real quick. Here's what happens. The gospel has now disturbed Ephesus. Demetrius is looking at his pocketbook. People aren't buying these little shrines to protect their house. They're making less money, and he's angry. So they actually throw a riot. They want them done. They grab two of their friends, and they're like, this is not okay. Get them out of here. I, just, I wrote down a simple thing. is The gospel is a disruptor. It's a disruptor. It says this real quick. Uber, I wrote down a couple ideas what a disruptor is. Uber. When Uber was introduced to the industry, it disrupted the taxi industry. Medallions that were worth millions became worth nothing because Uber came in and changed it. Another disruptor, and this is just a disruptor in our world, but Netflix came in and disrupted Blockbuster and then eventually destroyed Blockbuster. How many people want to bring Blockbuster back? Just raise your hand. It was just so fun. <laughs> going to the Blockbuster, picking out some candy. What movie are we going to watch tonight? It was like an event. And now Netflix, you're like, what am I going to watch? Uh, I don't know what I'm going to watch. And then you just put the office on again, over and over again. A, that's my life. That's my life. Rachel, I'd be like 30 minutes later, office. Decision fatigue. I'm Amazon is disrupting the retail industry. They're saying a retail apocalypse is going to come. That a lot of these retail companies aren't going to be able to survive because everybody's shopping online now. They've changed the game. Well, what happens here, Demetrius is saying, they're changing the game. The gospel is disrupting everything. The gospel will disrupt depression. It will disrupt isolation. It will disrupt sickness. It will disrupt hate. And it will disrupt bondage. The gospel message, Paul is so passionate about it. you got to catch this real quick. It's an amazing moment. So they're, they're, they're riding. There's 12 to 25,000 people at this, this uh, amphitheater type thing. And they're basically going nuts. They're like, get them out of here. We're so mad. And Paul hears that all of the people that hate Jesus and hate the gospel are in one place rioting. And you know what Paul says? Paul says, let me go in there. Paul wished to go in, but they held him back. said, Paul, you can't go in, you'll die. But Paul's like, no, you don't get it. I get one failed swoop with all the haters. I'm the, if I tell them the gospel message, I was one of them. If you let me in and I get to tell them about Jesus, I know. I know the gospel will do what it's supposed to do. If I take the private faith and make it public, some of those haters will become the greatest apostles for the kingdom. What happens, though, is we've been trained, be quiet. Keep your faith private. Don't talk about it to anybody. And that's just not how the church operates. And I'm not telling you to be religious. Oh, because it goes on to say, 
the, the man who was uh, in charge of the city goes, you brought these men here who have neither sacrilegious nor blasphemed our goddess. There's no cause that we can justify this commotion. He said, get out of it here. You dismiss this assembly also. We're going to get in trouble because these Christians, all they've done is live the life that they're supposed to live. They've been kind. All they're doing is living a good life. There is nothing that we can actually be upset about. And not only that, they never even talked bad about Artemis, the temple of Diana. They never talked about him. Catch this real quick. For us to advance the gospel message, we don't have to tear down anything else. That's not how it was done. Christians today, what's so tough is we're known for not wanting to make a cake or not celebrate this and not do this and not do that. And that never advances the gospel. It just makes you known as somebody who hates something. That's not how it is. All they did was build up the name of Jesus. He said they didn't even tear down anything that we do in our culture. All that happened is they elevated the name of Jesus. The enemy wants you to fight Democrats. He wants you to fight Republicans. He wants you to fight your neighbor. He wants you to fight a festival. That's what the enemy wants. But all Jesus wants you to say is lift my name up. Watch what happens when people know that Jesus is real. A city will change. We're going to be a church that loves people where they're at. And we're going to love people. We're going to love people. And then when they're angry, we're going to love them some more. And I believe in time. Oh, I dream it. I dream it. For Mission Church. Oh, that we would be the church that people go, man, Something different about that place. Man, they, when I met a Christian from this church, and they stopped, and they helped me. I met this Christian from this church, and they stopped, and they picked me up, and they helped me on a hard day. I met this Christian, and they, they didn't run past me. They didn't condemn me for my struggle. They didn't shame me for where I was at. They loved me, and they knew my lifestyle, and they were so kind to me still. They were the first one to hug me, and they know that my lifestyle doesn't line up with everything they believe. They still loved me. And so finally, two years later, I said, I got to know about this Jesus. And the same Christian who loved me was, oh, you hungry for Jesus now? I'm ready to give you Jesus because I've been waiting for that. I've been waiting for you to say, man, I want Jesus. And then when you're, oh, when they're ready, share the gospel message with them. That Jesus is the one that saves. That Jesus paid the price. That Jesus renews. That Jesus restores. Jesus conquered death. You know, grace is bigger than your worst day and is bigger than your best day. Nobody gets in without grace. Will you bow your heads?